Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Niger again, our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Thank you so much to all of the recommendations, all the comments and the feedback. I really appreciate it. If I haven't gotten back to you, uh, I'll give you my contact information. Um, things of mental health is just out of control uh, in our country and just from speaking with different people from different parts of the world. It's, it's really running rampant and there's not enough, uh, definitely not enough providers out there. Um, one of the cool things about doing this podcast, I realize is a lot of publishers contact me and they send me books and I've always been an avid reader and, um, I can't have any of my own patients on obviously for ethical reasons, but I, I was very happy to read a book that I have a, a tremendous guest on today, uh, who's on the West coast and we're on the East coast. And uh, her name is Melissa Bond, and she wrote an amazing book called Blood Orange Night, uh, My Journey uh, to the Edge of Madness, about uh, something that is all too common uh, from my experience as a neuropsychologist, certainly from Julie's experience as a psychiatric prescriber. As you can hear, Julie's in the background putting lemons on the plates. Um, that's how we do things here. So, um, Melissa... Um, Benzodiazepines, they were never designed to be long-term. They were not heavily studied and researched because they had these immediate effects. And you have you had quite a harrowing experience with benzodiazepines. And the class we're talking about is really Ativan, Xanax, um, Valium, Clonopin. Uh, so these, these are the magic little pills everybody wants to assuage their anxiety or deal with insomnia. So let me introduce you to Melissa Bond. Well, it is a pleasure to be here and to be with you, um, and, um, and yeah, you're exactly right. I was um, someone who had never had any kind of experience with um, benzodiazepines when I was prescribed. It was Ativan um, for insomnia, and uh, should I dive into my harrowing experience? Sure, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you present a very raw and realistic picture that I think is, I think our audience could definitely benefit from. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, I think it's all too common that people are prescribed something for an ailment, you know. Um, you know, whether it's a, a psychiatric ailment, you know, like I'm feeling depression or anxiety and I'm not quite sure how to deal with it. For me, it was profound insomnia that was brought on by two pregnancies close together and I was sleeping, gosh, um, you know, it felt like 30 minutes a night. I mean, I think I would probably average one to three hours a night, maybe for the duration of, uh, it was my second pregnancy. I had a six month old at the time. And, um, after, um, my daughter was born, I was prescribed Ativan to be taken Every single night, and just to give your listeners um, kind of context for the dosage, I was prescribed two milligrams to be taken every night. My doctor said to me, these are as about as addictive as coffee. I know someone who's been on them for 19 years and had no problem. You've got to sleep. So he gave me um, two milligrams. And, and this, that, was, this was Dr. Amazing that you referred to, correct? This is the Dr. Amazing. That's what I call him in the book. Um, and, um, for what I learned later was that when people are admitted into the emergency room, 
having grand mal seizures, they are injected with two milligrams of Ativan. So that is a very potent dose. However, that is uh, not uncommon. And uh, the thing with these medications is that they are meant to be used short-term only. They are metabolized very quickly, and they have a very, very high addiction potential or dependency potential. So your body metabolizes it, and then it takes more just to get the same kind of sedation. So um, for me, within this period of a month, the efficacy had gone down to nothing, and I would go back to Dr. Amazing, and he raised my dose um, by two milligrams each time. So within six months, I was up to six milligrams of Ativan. Uh, doctor prescribed to be taken nightly. Which is a lot. It is a, I call it a, a horse dose because I'm a five foot tall person. Um, but for anyone, I think it would be considered a really high dose. And it, and it, it, my body started to fall apart. What were the ramifications that you started to experience, both both physiologically and then just in terms of your lifestyle and family dynamics? Yeah. So, so I had at this point I had two infants, two like I had a an infant and then a one and a half year old, um, and and it should be noted just uh, for the sake of like kind of the burliness of mothering that I was doing. My son um, was born with um, autism and Down syndrome, so I was also kind of navigating this new terrain of being a special needs parent. Um, the ramifications were. It took a while because they were so fast. It was um, really, really shocking mentally, emotionally, and physically. So physically, um, what happened was um, I started having these horrible cramps in my stomach, and so I just couldn't eat. And I, you know, justified it away, thinking it was one of the C-sections. So I started losing weight rapidly, which was not my personal inclination um, and I started having balance problems. I would walk across the room and I was constantly running into things. I started having memory problems. And then I just started feeling ill all the time as though I had, I wondered if I had Lyme disease. I felt like I had flu symptoms like aching joints, um, muscle spasms. Um, I felt kind of feverish. My, my skin felt really tender. And, and then mentally, I think I felt, and it was very tricky because I was also a new mother, so I was exhausted all the time. Um, I felt very, um, just, I kind of dipped into this kind of real sort of malaise and depression and exhaustion and not knowing how much of it was motherhood and how much of it was something else that was going on. Um, and my, my memory was going, and that took a while because if you don't remember something, you don't know you've forgotten it. So it would take several times where friends would show up at the door and say, oh, we talked about going to lunch to, just yesterday. And I would think, I have literally no memory of that. So um, the, I think what was the final straw for me was I was holding my infant daughter, pulling her out of the tub. I'd just given her a bath, and we were walking out of the bath with her little froggy towel over her head, and one minute I was up, and the next minute I was like a dead body falling from a bridge. My legs just completely went out from underneath me so rapidly that I could see the corner wall coming towards her, her head, and I had to, like, wrench my body to the right to kind of let my shoulder run into the wall, 
And in that moment, I'm lying there holding my one-and-a-half-year-old, and I'm thinking, okay, this is some kind of, like, as-yet undiagnosed neurological disorder because the loss of balance, the memory issues, the muscle twitch, all of those things sound to me like a neurological disorder. So at this point, and were you really just not even considering Ativan as being the contributory factor? Like, it was something just out, out of your field of vision? Yeah. Like, this is something else? Yeah, Exactly. Like, like for a long time, I had been seeing kind of these symptoms and had been thinking, had really been in denial. I'd been struggling with, do I have something? Oh, no, I'm just, you know, really tired mother. And hadn't thought, because I so trusted my doctor, who said these were benign and they would help me once I got reestablished my sleep pattern, then I would be healthy and my sleep pattern would regulate again. So didn't at all see any kind of, um, never had you know been told there could be some harm with them. And it was in that moment that I luckily had the switch and thought, wait a minute, if it's not a brain tumor and it's not MS, the other, you know, like what has changed in my life besides motherhood? It's, it's the medication. And so that's when I went up and started doing a lot of intensive research looking through sites that I knew were scientifically really um, solid, like PubMed. Yeah, because your brother, your brother had pushed you into a PubMed, correct? Yeah, yes. my brother's a scientist, and he really helps, you know, had I had been a, um, a journalist, and so I had done, you know, a lot of times I would be doing research, but he really helped me kind of cull through different sites and see what was, you know, what I could make sure had been, like, peer-reviewed and, you know, had accuracy, and all of the literature said this is this medication is not to be used for more than, you know, more than a month at most, typically less, and that it was and that it was highly highly um, physically addictive, and and I just it was like I describe it in the book as like my sky falling apart like a piece at a time every single site that I got on, and it also said. You cannot cold turkey this drug because its impact on the brain is so intense. You will very likely have a fatal seizure or have a psychotic break. Right, and this this is Neither stuff that's often shot. not communicated to people that these are medications that you cannot abruptly stop as fast as they work and then give some immediate relief. Just stopping these cold turkey is incredibly dangerous. Hi, yes. Melissa. It's Julie. How are you? Hi, Julie. Oh, Julie. I'm doing great. It's nice to meet you. Oh, it's nice to meet you, too. And I just had I had a couple of um, one. First of all, um, I'm you know, I'm really, really happy that you are um, alive, alive uh, and also um, contributing yeah. to your experience with benzodiazepines. I yeah. personally have had um, been I've been prescribed them before just once you know out of in one milligram and really um i feel like the pendulum has literally swung in an opposite direction i think probably based on the research that came out and also of course the opiate crisis where the um overdoses um you know after being analyzed usually when there's an overdose with an opiate medication heroin or opiates yada 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 go on and on but just that there usually is a combination of benzodiazepines in the mix. So when they do mm-hmm. the drug testing, they do find that because it is so dangerous, the benzos. 
But getting back to also, you know, the epidemic, um, the overdose epidemic and the opiate um, epidemic crisis Um, and the response to that. And I think a lot of providers pulled way back. Um, not all of them. They're, I mean, everybody's different the way they prescribe, as you know. Yeah. But um, the other part of that is that when I came into practice in 2012, I was a therapist before, but then switched uh-huh. to my other uh, career. And I was absolutely blown away at the level of benzos that were prescribed by psychiatrists, particularly, uh-huh. and not just one benzo. They would prescribe benzos throughout the day, and then they uh-huh. prescribe like one milligram of Xanax at bedtime to help sleep. Yes. And and people clutched these medications like like a, a little old lady on a bus getting mugged. Uh-huh. Uh, their their right. purse, like they never want. So it was a lot of work to try to educate people getting them off because the long term effects were obviously memory loss. Potentially dementia, all that uh, research that came out of British Columbia. So I no, came in Cambridge, Cambridge University. Yeah. Oh, I mean, right, Brit- right. I mean, in Great Britain. Yeah, UK, yeah. not British Columbia. Um, but uh, you know, and then cleaning up. And I had a colleague of mine, and we we literally cleaned up this a couple of clinics that we worked at because people were so dependent on them yeah. and thought that they couldn't live without them. The last thing I wanted to ask you, not won't be the last, but um, I cannot fathom as a mom, being a mom and having insomnia when I had two children 22 months apart, I cannot fathom as a prescriber. I'm always, always with women who have insomnia with children and infants. You have to be able to be aroused. Like you can't knock someone out. So I would never prescribe something like that you know what i mean like you when you sleep Uh as a mom you're sleeping but you're sleeping light because you Uh want to be able to wake up did you ever have that experience i'm just shocked at how i yeah no i think your shock is totally valid and and i mean unfortunately your level of shock uh, i just keep encountering it with other people that are emailing me with their experiences, like like doctors overriding what seems to be common sense and just go ahead, going ahead and, and not having, I mean, I do still feel like there, we are on this learning curve and the awareness, like we really are sort of at the tip of the tsunami that's coming in of awareness about benzodiazepines. Um, I personally... My, um, you know, my, uh, what was happening in the environment of my body had to do with some kind of adrenal issue. So I was having cortisol um, that was coming out at about 9 p.m., like my highest rate of cortisol. So I would take six milligrams of Ativan, and I would not, like, I would still, if my child cried, I would be up. Like, my wolf mama ears were so strong. I would be pulled yeah. out of, you know, which is which is not to say it's anyone's anyone else's experience. I think you're pointing to the fact that it is such a potent medication and is so strong, and the yeah. dose I was on was so high, right? And the efficacy would wane so quickly, right? Mm-hmm. It was it was just it was just phenomenal. So there was not a time that you know, and at that time I was with 
um, my husband at the time, so there was another adult in the house if the kids were crying, but there was never a time that he woke up before I did. And I think in the book you talk about how it really impacted your relationship and marriage as well. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, anytime, absolutely. We're, we're, we're divorced now, um, and, you know, we had what I call a personal Fukushima, which I think anyone that has you know, gone through a kind of illness or, you know, any bereavement, you know, you know what it's like when you have several things happen one after the other, you know, it really will try, it will challenge the best of relationships. So we had, you know, gotten married. Um, I had been an editor at a, at a magazine serving the Intermountain West and with the recession, the magazine closed. So we sort of had a series of suddenly me losing my job having a child with special needs, getting pregnant with another one, and then me having this sudden chronic pathological insomnia, and then having the dependency dependency upon benzos. And it just, um, it tore a relationship to shreds. There was just no, the, the emotional bandwidth only went so far and it just broke. And then you finally made the the transition to, I think, another psychiatrist who was unsuccessful in getting you off the Ativan, correct? So, yeah, the interesting thing is that there was never a psychiatrist that worked with me to to be able to get off. What I ended up doing, I worked initially with an internist because I knew, um, I found out that she was very very interested in sort of patient-led health in the sense of like really working with the patients and being less sort of led by the dictates of the insurance system and their policies. So I started working with her. We were together for about five months and she literally said to me, I do not know how to get you off of, off of this medication. It is, we are not being successful. Um, and I'm afraid, I'm afraid it's going to kill you. So she looked through her network I looked, uh, I touched base with every um, psychiatrist and clinician that I knew in, in Salt Lake City, which is where I'm from, and I said, do you know anyone that specializes in benzodiazepine withdrawal specifically? And both of them came back to me with the same name, and it was a man who was a general practitioner, and he had chosen that because he wanted to be able to reach the broadest number of people around, and he was a lifesaver. He was the one that helped get me off. So I'm surprised that nobody sent you to. So uh, it's so interesting when we get patients that have they're on a ton of um, benzos, right? Well, yeah. First of all, we roll our eyes and go, "Thank you." You know, this is just great because yeah. it's such a challenge. <laughs> Number one, if people yeah. are too of clutching their purses, so to speak. But then also another to really inherit a, a client because when we inherit clients you know and once we write that script we're in but at the yeah. same time i know that people do go to um and it's a it's a horrible way to say it but re like rehab they'll go to wash and spins and they'll yeah. go to detox and they'll detox them off of benzos appropriately was that never offered to you um, what I was told, um, I had done, you know, I'd done a lot of research and I knew that especially with the level that I was on, that a detox centers kind of maxed out at about a month mm -hmm. and I knew that they could get me off physiologically off to the point that I would not have a fatal seizure. 
or yeah. a psychotic break. But what I was learning was that for the brain to really repair, that going very slowly and doing a very long-term withdrawal was the, the best in terms of my brain health. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and that I would have the withdrawals anyway. So when, as I worked with this addictionologist, we kind of put together a year-long plan for me to taper one-tenth of my dose every two weeks and, and with the acknowledgement that if I was having really extreme withdrawal symptoms that were persisting after those two weeks that I would hold my right. dose. And so um, what did they interject in terms of how did they augment? When they add Valium? Did, how, did they, how did they augment you? I mean, first of all, from a diagnostic... Can you hear that? Motorcycles. Um, oh, I did I, hear the motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> as, as, a pro, as a provider, I, you know, uh -huh. how, number one, if I had someone who had chronic insomnia, I'd send them for a sleep study. I'd want them to find a sleep specialist. They don't always do a ton either, but a lot of it is really now um, focused on cognitive behavioral therapy and sometimes mm -hmm. hypnotics. But um, but like other medications, um, did anything work for you during this uh, taper, pro slow tapering process? Did they try to introduce something else, like to give our listeners, you know, from your experience? Let's say if there's people, if there are people out there that are struggling with the same thing you're struggling with today. How did that doctor help you, big picture, with if 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 at all, with medication in just with medication to replace? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, the biggest thing was that I think you know I think my sleep, you know, my sleep is fine now. Um, and what he said to me was, okay, he, he said, what are the two worst things? The two worst. Um, withdrawal symptoms that you're having because there, there's just a massive constellation of symptoms because it affects these drugs affect such a, 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 a huge um, portion of the body you know with the neuroreceptors like it's GI it's muscular it's um, it's our vision it is our you know emotional health so um, so what I told him was it's the insomnia and it's when I go into the black like and that's what I called it when I would get so depressed I would feel like how can I keep going on? So he said to me, okay, if, that, if either of those things happen, you come to me and we, um, we have something that can help. So um, a couple of times I went, uh, I just stopped sleeping again. He, one thing I will say is that my, the previous doctor I had worked with had thought of putting me on Wellbutrin, which is um, an SSRI, right? No, my, but it, but... It's, uh, it's an SNDI or something. It's like a, it increases norepinephrine and, and dopamine. Right, right. So it does so, nothing so, for anxiety, though. Well, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't being treated for anxiety. Oh. And I wasn't actually um, anxiety that I was experiencing was purely actually a reaction of like the medication. Like when I would go off the medication, I was suddenly having anxiety for the first time in my life. I'm actually not an anxious person. Oh, okay. Which is really kind of ironic. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, it was the insomnia. So he, he said, no, don't do Wellbutrin. So what he did was he ended up giving me trazodone. Um, the couple of times that I had, 
um, that I hit a wall of insomnia. He, he said, okay, I think you need to take trazodone. Um, this, and I was so against any kind of additional medication. He said, I know it's awful. I hate that we have to do it, but, but it will help you sleep. And then, um, so there were two times. The other time I hit a wall of insomnia that was so bad, I was having a really hard time taking care of the kids. And he introduced a very low-dose antipsychotic called Seroquel, which in low doses is uh, yeah. really just kind of sedative. Mm-hmm. And I would take that at night, and um, it helped me get through those periods. So those are the two medical um, uh, pieces that were helpful for me in the withdrawal process. Um, we only used them when we needed to. I think the other thing that was like radically helpful was, um, and it's so simple, but exercise. He mm-hmm. said, endorphins are the only thing that are going to help you um, have good chemicals in your body. So exercise as much as you can. And all I could do at that point was walk. And I'm, I'm actually a, a rock climber. I've been an ultra marathoner, so I'm, I'm very active. And um, But I'll, I could just walk. And so I would walk for as long as I could, and those endorphins would come in, and I would literally feel my shaking and my nausea and my, um, like, the undulations of emotions, which would range, range from, like, fury to anxiety to depression. Like, it would all feel like it would kind of calm down with exercise. How long so those, would that, how long that sense of peace or calmness last? I would usually what I would have to do is I, w- I would wake up in the morning. I would take care of the kids. I would get them to daycare. I would kind of navigate. I would do kind of what I called my like it was like my healthcare regimen. So I would walk really really hard and then I would nap. And I would it would it would minimize. Basically, I would say it would make it kind of tolerable enough so that I could take care of the kids at night and then and then in the evenings usually they would rise up again so I would have maybe a couple of hours of not feeling just wretched (laughs) so how long did the entire process of getting you off of the benzodiazepines take I would say if we count the five months that I worked with the doctor who, who eventually said I don't know how to do this uh, it was probably 15 months, 14 to 15 months total. And, and where are you at right now? On any meds or? So I take, yeah, I got down to five milligrams of Valium. Um, and just for your listeners' sake, so um, the more recent um, benzodiazepines are like Ativan, Xanax, uh, Clonopin, and they are much uh, stronger and they also exit the system much more quickly, so they're more addictive. Um, so the one milligram of Ativan is the equivalent of 10 milligrams of Valium. Um, and I switched over, per his recommend, and, and a lot of medical journals recommend this, to Valium because it stays in the body longer, so the withdrawal symptoms are not as acute. So I, I tapered off of 60 milligrams of Valium down to 5 um, at which point, my my son, who had been in daycare, the daycare said they could not provide for him what he needed. He was a special needs kiddo, and so I came home. Um, I had been doing kind of a, a rehab center at a friend's house so I could have withdrawals there and not impact my kids and my husband, and then I would come home, like, in the mornings and at night. Um, 
and I needed to come home and be with my son full time because he really, he really needed our support. So I, that's where I ended up stopping. It's just, it's just a, a, a amazing story that you were able to tell. Um, I, mean, I think I, I finished the yeah. book maybe in two days. As soon as I, wow. so, as soon as I got to like six milligrams, like this is really interesting because it, that, that is <laughs> that is not the norm. Uh, right. Like Julie said, I'm sure there are people out there, providers out there that give whatever to whatever somebody's asking for. Yeah. We see it all all yeah. the time. All the time. Um, so I was really glad to have you on this, this program because this, this, this really, I think is an epidemic, especially with the pandemic, yeah. uh, yes. probably, you know, a lot of, people, a lot of anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, inflation rates right now in the United States, there's a lot of uncertainty yep. about the stock market. So, um, I think a lot of education and this is a great education from, from a firsthand experience. I mean, Julie and I could talk about it from a clinical perspective, but to hear your story, right. I think is so powerful. And I, and I totally, I, I'm so grateful for your book and for you speaking to our audience um, because it will make people who are struggling feel less alone. Um, right. And I am full on, I guess I have to say, maybe I'm doing something right and I'm not patting myself on the back, believe me. But, you know, I am so, I'm so, such a hyper, like, educator. So I educate all my, yes. all my patients about what they're taking and why, only because in my experience I inherited, you know, like I, I, the, the purse clutchers in the beginning, but, I referred to to them, but also for people like you who literally went in this blind, you know, I feel like there are people that will seek these medicines because they've worked for them and, you know, because they know they work for them because they do work to a degree, but, you know, you really were prescribed like it was like you trusted this person Mm -hmm. to, and, and I wonder if they had given you the edu- full education about it, I wonder if you would have wound up going down that path in such a severe way. I would absolutely have not. And, yeah. and I love, I feel, I wish there were more clinicians like you, Julie. I mean, I, I think we're, we're getting there, but I think, there, I think we did swing really heavily into just prescribing pills and not having a sense of what the long-term effects could be. And they, they can be deadly. Or, yeah. or disabling. I think a lot of people slide into disability, like severe disability, unable to work, unable to care for their families. And they also rush this class of medication pretty quickly onto the onto the market. Well, the mother's little helper too. I yeah. think that was Valium that first came out. But, that was um, Valium. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, quick quick remedy because you know in our right. society we want to feel better yesterday. And yep. when by the time someone gets into a doctor's office or a nurse practitioner's office or any provider's office, you, you, they're already, you know, very deep in whatever they are dealing with. Um, yeah. And people want to feel better, and I don't blame them. They want to feel better quickly, obviously. And benzos really are the, that's the alluring demonic part of the benzos like they're almost like that they're almost like heroin in a way you know just like they're they're gonna work they're gonna make you feel better but big picture inevitably it's really like dry alcohol and it's gonna reinforce depression too you know so they're absolutely yeah so it works like alcohol and people are gonna also, wake up in withdrawals and but we also see besides the physiological dependence the psychological dependence and it, literally the physical absolutely. dependence that she's experienced right 
Yeah. Yeah. I call them pharmaceutical hammers. You know? Yeah. And we, we don't always need a hammer because the hammer can crush things. So yeah. so know which ones are hammers and use them, you know, yeah. as needed. But you don't need them for everything. Right. Well, Melissa, thank you so much. Again, her book is Blood Orange Night. Uh, Melissa Bond, I would highly recommend from a professional p- perspective. And anybody in um, the field working with people, yeah. no matter what your discipline. It, she does a great job of giving you a really firsthand of, account of what this experience is. Yeah. So thank you so much, Melissa. Thanks, Melissa. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you, too, for what you're doing. All right. Well, you keep in touch with us if there's any new insights you've got, and um, we'd love to have you on again. Uh, I would love it. Yeah, let's absolutely stay in touch. Thank you so much. Sounds okay. good, Melissa. Take care. Happy Take care. Fourth. Happy Fourth. Enjoy yourselves. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. So uh, hopefully that was informative for everybody because this is something that, like I said, we do encounter on a, on a pretty consistent basis. Uh you know, when I've worked in large organizations, I uh, would hear people come up to the secretaries and they would always lose their benzodiazepines and they would lose their ADHD meds. Oh, I forgot them uh, on Cape Cod. I left them at the beach. They never lose their mood stabilizers. They never lose their antidepressants. They never lose their antipsychotics. They always, quote unquote, lose the, you know, these magic little pills because they do work. But recently, like we mentioned before, like long-term effects, uh, they're studying this and there is a high correlation between long-term use of benzodiazepines and and the onset of dementia. And also, they are, they'll be stolen. Um, if you have them, you know, you want to keep them in a safe place. I always tell, you know, women, well, I don't, I tell men as well, but just like be, be, very conscientious about where you place them. Don't leave your pocketbook and a shopping cart wide open with them lying on the top because they do get stolen and they they really aren't replaceable, um, which puts people at risk for, you know, having severe withdrawals. Um, But uh, the Wellbutrin, again, I want to reiterate, Melissa brought up a really good point about Wellbutrin being an NDRI, not an SSRI. Um, The reason why... So, Wellbutrin is an NDRI, and that means the norepinephrine dopamine reuptake inhibitor. Um, That means that it allows more norepinephrine and dopamine availability in the brain. Um, It's excellent for ADHD and attentive type. It's excellent for major depressive disorder. It doesn't contain anything with serotonin, so it's not doing the anxiety job. And for people who are anxious at night, and I know Melissa said that she wasn't anxious, I'm speaking to the to the anxious people who have a very difficult time getting sleep. Um, that if you're taking Wellbutrin, talk to everyone. Talk to your provider if you have any questions. Obviously, with people, I'm not treating anybody here. I'm just you know, all I'm doing is trying to teach. So. It really does nothing for anxiety. So sometimes people who get anxious who take that medication, it's because it's not assuaging the depletion of, of serotonin in the, um, in the brain. So having said that, I just wanted to kind of teach a little bit, teaching moment. Um, thank you guys. Have a wonderful weekend. Um, you matter. Um, I think our next episode is going to be about matter. Matter? Mm-hmm. I think so. 
Never mind. Whatever. <laughs> All right, guys. Until next week, uh, t- uh, feel free to reach out to me at Psychology Unplugged at Outlook.com. Julie, seriously? Psychology Unplugged at Outlook.com. Um, get a hold of me t- through Psychology Today. Uh, you can contact me directly, 617-750-9411. I try to respond to everybody. Uh, like I guess. I always say, Julie and I, this is our modest version of God's work to take the collective knowledge of our different disciplines and really try to demystify, destigmatize mental health, legitimize it, because it is a very real thing that um, starting to maybe have a paradigm shift where it, it, it it's more relevant and more acceptable to talk about it and, and to be in, in therapy or as, you know, like, always say get a full neuropsych eval so i know a lot of you guys are coming out in the next few weeks to see me so very humbled by that um so i'll think of a topic for next week uh email me with with suggestions Uh, i do this again very organically i was very happy to have melissa on and again i really would encourage um you to read this book if if you're struggling with this uh if like julia said if you're if you're a clinician uh you can learn a lot of information about this from the inner workings of an individual who went down a very very dark path very very quickly until next time take care of yourselves take care of each other be well oh wait one more thing one more thing listen guys if you are taking benzodiazepines don't panic please don't panic with this show talk to your provider Talk to your provider about what you've learned and decide what you want to do from there. Don't attempt to do anything on your own. And there are healthcare providers. And if you're at all really amped up and anxious about this, go to urgent care or go to your emergency room. Um, talk to healthcare providers, your primary care, whoever's providing you with that medicine. Don't go it alone. You jump it in again? No. All right. So again... Till next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, be well. Uh, I'll think of a topic for next week. Usually it comes to me at sometime, usually it comes to me on Sundays when I do these. Uh, but feel free to get in contact with me. Uh, until next time, uh, that's it. Bye, guys.